Are you one of the millions of people who have tried to cut down on sugar and sugary foods? Are you having trouble with your patients trying to entice them and to make these changes as well? Hi, I'm Dr. Brian McDonough, host of Primary Care Today on ReachMD. I have a very special guest today. My guest is Dr. David Magnano. Dr. Magnano is actually an author. He's a health educator, and he has a five-step strategy to help beat sugar cravings. And Dr. Magnano, I want to start, first of all, by welcoming you to the program. And what got you interested in this? Well, thanks for having me. We've been working with weight loss and health and wellness and a lot of digestive disorders. You know, we started off working a lot with enzymes and probiotics and things of that nature, and it just really stems from there. You know, it's interesting because as primary care physicians, I think a lot of us are more and more interested in new and different ways to approach problems. And obviously, the most important thing when we talk about weight loss and we talk about healthy eating is exercise, you know, reducing fat in the diet, trying to be balanced, trying to do all those things. But a lot of times, I think we don't pay enough attention to sugar. Tell me a little bit from your perspective, the issues that the high sugar content in our diets that they place on us. Well, as you said, it it creates an incredible problem with weight loss and becoming overweight, and that leads to problems, of course, with diabetes and heart disease and anything that may be tied into, you know, increasing one's weight. It's really like an addiction when you start in on sugar. That's why to try to reduce the sugar cravings in that, I find that it's best to just do it on a gradient basis, on a step-by-step basis, so it's not so overwhelming and, you know, somebody can have some success along the way and take it from there. But it's certainly been a problem that has been growing for, you know, 30, 40, 50 years in our society. And it's tough to overcome for a lot of people because it's become such a habit for them. You know, you mentioned sugar cravings. What causes sugar cravings? Well, when we get down to the root of that, I actually do not know. But I noticed that, you know, for many patients, myself, our family members, that the more sugar I eat or the more sugar our patients eat, the more we crave sugar. Now, we have been doing a lot of work with candida albicans, a fungus that will grow in the stomach, the normal bacteria that's in the stomach, fungal makeup in the stomach. But when it becomes overgrown, this yeast becomes overgrown. It actually feeds off sugar. And what we're realizing is that as we get that yeast under control, that the patient is generally reducing their sugar cravings. Now, it's a bit, you know, chicken and egg type scenario because along the way of getting that under control, we're also reducing the sugar. And I think that helps to reduce the sugar cravings. But I think a lot of people, it was said back in the 50s, about 15% of the population have a yeast overgrowth in their gut, in their stomach. And now the numbers rank up around 70%. So it certainly has swelled over the past number of years. Right, because Canada needs yeast to grow and thrive. I mean, it needs sugar to grow and thrive, correct? Absolutely. That's what it lives off of, and that's what it needs. So when you look at that and you look at sugar cravings, whatever they're caused by, there have been people who have reduced sugar in their diet. They've done it a number of different ways. And I've had patients do that. And they actually say that craving really starts to go away relatively fast. In other words, they they don't have that need or that desire. Has that been your experience, what these patients are saying? Absolutely. Just the reduction of the sugar in and of itself decreases the cravings. Now, if they're still having cravings, there's a very good chance that there may be an additional situation going on, like a yeast overgrowth or something like that. But most of the patients just experience a reduction in sugar cravings by reducing the sugar. And the longer they can sustain that, 
the less their sugar cravings become. You're listening to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Brian McDonough. My guest is Dr. David Magnano. Dr. David Magnano is an expert in the field of sugar, controlling sugar, controlling sugar cravings, and essentially what he calls SUD or sugar use disorder. According to the United States Department of Agriculture, the average American consumes this is unbelievable. Between 150 to 170 pounds of refined sugars every year. I guess we get them in a lot of places we're not expecting to get them as well. Yeah, at some point you have to start looking at the labels. The high fructose corn syrup is a terrible thing to have in our system, and it's in on many foods. The more you can stay away from any foods that are processed, it decreases your chance then of getting sugar in that you're not aware of or you're not actually planning or counting on. Staying away from the processed foods is a big plus with that. One of your tips, and, and we went through the tips, the first one actually, when we're talking about them, want to make sure we're going over, is to curb the sugar-hungry candida with yeast-fighting herbs. What you're suggesting is try to cut down the yeast in the belly, that sort of a thing. But I want to move to the next one, which I really think is an interesting one. We talk about it, but it comes up in a number of studies in a number of different ways, but we don't always push it with our patients, and that is eating smaller and more frequent meals. That is something I've seen in, in numerous studies, not just talking about sugar, but talking about heart disease and all other issues. Yeah, and we're finding that that's good not only in reducing the sugar cravings and helping to control any yeast overgrowth or things of that nature, but it's also very effective for weight loss. And even if somebody has five smaller meals during the course of the day rather than three sort of average or larger meals, they're going to do better off with that. Some people, it's sort of an old Italian culture to have one larger meal during the day and then have that surrounded by these smaller meals that just sort of lead up or lead down from that larger meal. So the smaller meals are definitely very helpful in reducing sugar cravings. I think another point you have, and this is common sense, but again, it's carrying emergency snack bags. So many of us don't do that. We're at work, we're working late or whatever. I see it all the time. People, they go to the snack machine and you don't always have the most healthy options in those machines and people kind of pick what they can, whether it be potato chips versus cream-filled cake versus, you know, the, the choices are never usually very good. Yeah, they're, they're generally poor choices for sure. But what we have learned is that it doesn't even require that much preparation. Having, you know, some carrots in a bag, nuts are so easy to travel with. You know, they're very fulfilling, nice source of protein and fats you get from those. It doesn't have to be that big of a inconvenience to just throw some snacks in your briefcase, in your lunch bag, in your purse, anything like that. And it really is helpful. That's one of the things that if you're going to confront this sugar craving, you have to prepare yourself a little bit. And that's why, you know, we try to cut down on the sugary foods. You try to get the yeast under control. I don't know whether I had a chance to mention to you, but we use this product called Colorex, which is an anti-yeast, anti-fungal. It's an herbal extract from a plant that's grown in New Zealand. It's found to be, you know, more effective than many of the medications on the market for controlling yeast. And all the outspurts of that, whether it be vaginal yeast infection, athlete's foot, any of these things. And what we're finding is if we do not get that under control, the yeast and the sugar cravings, that it tends to break down the gut tissue and then it can lead to leaky gut and then that leads to food allergies and it just snowballs from there. So it's a pretty easy thing to try to get under control if you have a little bit of a plan and you're willing to just take it step by step. And, you know, it's interesting when we talk about yeast, most of us, you know, we're thinking about oral thrush. You're thinking about yeast infections with our patients, those sorts of things. And we're still 
not necessarily many of us at least plugged into the idea of yeast as part of the gut flora and when it can overgrow and when there's issues. But obviously, when you give antibiotics to people, it allows yeast to overpopulate. That's why we often will tell women that, you know, you're going to possibly have a yeast infection. And they'll tell us, well, last time I was on an antibiotic, I, I had a yeast infection. They're almost asking for a medication prior to even going on the antibiotic because they're anticipating that. Yeah, absolutely. And we're finding that, you know, lack of energy and it even affects the thyroid, sex drive, sinus infection, a lot of the digestive disorders, bloating and acid reflux. There's a lot of those things that basically stem from a yeast overgrowth. There was a pretty interesting study that even was tying some asthma cases to yeast overgrowth in Russia, which was pretty interesting. But it's just something that's pretty easy to get under control, especially with this product Polarex, especially with trying to control the sugar. From what the numbers, the statistics indicate, it's probably a fairly common thing amongst us even if we're not really showing many signs of the symptoms at this point in time. It's definitely worthwhile to get it under control before it snowballs. One of the other things you say, again, this is common sense, is not to rush things. If you're going to try to reduce sugar, reduce in your diet, the presence, take time. But when you're guiding patients just in general, you know, not even having them take other products, just trying to get them to cut down, often you know, my patients will go home and you know, we'll talk about something and they really are energized for two or three days, but then a few days later, they fall a little behind. Next thing you know, you know they're having some more sugar. They're having more food. And, and by the time they come back, they feel like they haven't made much progress. And in fact, sometimes they've even lost ground. How do you encourage your patients and get them still kind of to fight through it and to try to make these changes? Yeah, see, that's a great question. And what I find is that if the patient can have some success, almost like when somebody starts eating sugar, and it snowballs, right? They have some sugar, and it goes downhill, and they just want to have sugar for, you know, every snack and with every meal, and it just sort of snowballs out of control that way. So we're using that same principle and trying to get them off sugar. Number one, we give them a simple plan that's generally written in some capacity, something they can definitely have success at, reducing one sugary snack per day for the first week, or something along the lines, depending on how out of hand the patient has gotten as far as eating sugar, but something they can definitely win at and succeed at and follow through at, at least for a period of a week or so. And then what we've started to notice, and we've all sort of experienced this, if we start to reduce the sugar intake, then the cravings also decrease. So then it sort of feeds itself in week number two and week number three and keeping them on track. I just found some simple plan that's not overwhelming. And if if it happens to be written, that's always the best and something that somebody can follow more easily than something that, that's going to work more effectively over a period of two or three or four weeks if it took me six or eight weeks to get a result with a patient, but it's the type of plan that they can actually follow through with and have some success with, I would go towards that rather than it really needs to be done in two or three weeks. I'm going to ask you a question. It's totally out of nowhere, but I was reading today a number of studies talking about social media and how social media is a great way to help women when they're pregnant stay on a good diet and do those things. In your own practice, in your own experience, have you been using that as a tool yet, whether it's either through texting or Facebook or Twitter or anything? Are you using that to your advantage with patients? You know, we have not, but that's a great thought. We, we're just sort of old school and we have not. 
It's one of the things. Uh, but, yeah, it's one of the things that just I've been starting to see that in, in more studies, and I know a lot of our, our audience, especially. I'm not going to say it's discriminating towards younger physicians, but a lot of the younger physicians are are going in that direction to try to find ways. But there's, of course, a danger because you don't necessarily want to be reaching out, giving specific advice, or dealing with uh, protected health information and those things. But as far as just general tips or guidance or follow along with me, that, that kind of thing. I'm wondering about using the patient portal and those different types of tools to help. Yeah, you certainly think there would be a benefit there, but we have not started down that path as of yet. We only have a couple more minutes in the program, and I did want to ask you, and we talked about your, your five tips. Again, I, I want to make sure I, I go through this for our audience one more time. To curb sugar-hungry Canada with these fighting herbs, eat smaller, more frequent meals, toss out sugar and sugary foods, carry an emergency snack bag, don't rush things, which are all very important. But one other question I had just in talking about this is certain foods that you should avoid and what foods we should eat to keep sugar cravings at a minimum. Are there certain things you found actually help just in the diet? Yes. Any of the processed foods that include the high fructose corn syrup, that would be the first thing to get off the list. We have not noticed a lot of trouble with the sugars that come from natural fruits in that. We're not a big fan of fruit juices or things of that nature, but the actual fruits, even though the sugar is in the fruits, that has not produced a problem nor cravings. But the high fructose corn syrup certainly does produce a problem. The other thing, and you mentioned the Facebook and a pregnant woman or something like that, birth control pills, the candida, the yeast overgrowth, loves the progesterone. And this is why one of the reasons that uh, women have problems with the yeast overgrowth because of the birth control usage. So that's actually sort of a precursor to help speed that as well. Any of the processed sugary cakes and cookies and candies, just try to avoid those right off the bat. Those things that the things that stay on the shelf that you don't really need preservative. They just sit there. You don't need to refrigerate. Dr. David Magnana, I want to thank you for joining us on Primary Care today. It was a real pleasure having you. Oh, thanks for having me. You have a great show. I really appreciate you having me on. If you've been listening and only heard part of this, you can download the podcast. You can check us out on our website. I'm Dr. Brian McDonough. Until next time, stay healthy.